0: Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tats Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Britton Jacobson. He's an expert at building systems and organizations. Um so Britton, thank you thank you for coming on the show. Yeah of course thank you for inviting me. <laughs> yeah so you have a very interesting background. So I mean you you started in IT and then moved towards security. How did that happen?
1: Well so that bit of my background is basically well those were basically college jobs and so at the time I had enough technical background like I in high school like I grew up kind of putting, taking apart computers, putting back together, and I was good at figuring things out. And so basically I went and applied to the IT department because it was a good job on campus and paid a little bit better than like, you know, cleaning or something. (laughs) And I thought it would help kind of be an up-leveling skill set just from the experience standpoint. And so that was, that's why I started out with that job within college and I could get it faster than some of the other ones that were available. But I ended up doing three or four kind of part-time jobs at the college with different departments and whatnot. Yeah. That's how I started in IT. It wasn't necessarily like my first job or anything like that, but that's why I started working
0: with that. And and, and then I noticed here, you spent some time in security. How's that like? I've never done security. I'm not small, but I'm also not very big as well. How did that work? Yeah. Well,
1: so the reason that happened is I went to college and got my degree in strategic intelligence with the intention of doing paramilitary counterterrorism. And so the security avenue, my plan was to basically start working with a private contractor, and then through them getting on a contract to go overseas and do counterterrorism. So the first full-time job I had basically out, out of college, well, I started like my junior summer, but was working as an unarmed security guard for a Boeing and Iridium satellite facility. And basically, I had done security work at the college and I had a bunch of my training certification and whatnot as a result of that. So that's why I was able to kind of get in. And the I met with the guy who managed the facility and he liked me. And so he was willing to accept me as the security guard. And so we're one of, there were a couple of us on different shifts. but. That was the idea, and from there, I would try and work for a year or two, and then transition to bigger and bigger contracts. And then I started working armed security for a different contractor, but that was more of a. It was actually this is part of the good story part. So That's that fair. was for an IHOP in Virginia, where like ten years ago, it's where all the gangs met up and fought on the weekends. And so basically, they you had mean got the Great
0: Shift, right? You know, the New V <laughs> Shift, right?
1: Yeah, it was, we started at 12. It was a 12 a.m. to 5 a.m. shift on Friday night and Saturday night. And I did it for a few years, but yeah. So that's why they were originally hired to work this location. And like now, you know, 10 years later, 99% of the time it's totally chill and you're just sitting there doing nothing. But every once in a while you'd run into a drunk patrons or, you know, people starting to get a little unruly and things like that. We only had one serious incident when I worked there. And it happened to be, of course, like when my partner left to go like grab a snack at the store next door. And so I look up from, you know, I was like looking at my phone or whatever, because we'd sit in the car outside so they could call us in if something happened, like the waitress or whatever is like waving me in. (laughs) So I was like, all right, time to go. So I walk in and like I had before I had seen these people like moving around and I could tell like something was probably up. And sure enough, I like walk into the lobby as there's like seven people piling out all like younger teenage maybe younger 20s or whatever kids and they're all yelling at each other and one of them's yelling like where's the car tell me where the freaking car is you know and then one of the girls starts to like grab me like i need to talk to you i need to talk to you i was like hold on i got to figure out what this guy's doing because he's i know there's a girl in this car that he's yelling about cuz i'd seen the group so i was like okay so i tried i told him to sit down i threw him against the wall And he didn't sit down. He just like flexed against the wall. (laughs) And I put him in an arm bar because he started to go out and he was yelling, where's the car? I'm going to you know, mess it up or whatever. And as soon as I touched him, like I was ripped at the time. I was working out every day of the week. I was playing soccer multiple times a week. And as soon as I touched him, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy is ridiculously strong. <laughs> and so he pulled out, like I wasn't even there and walked out the door. I was like, all right, well, that's it. Like the next step in the escalation of force is spray. So I got my pepper spray. I walked in front of him or I jogged in front of him and sprayed him in the face. And I started to, he went down to the ground. I started to put him in handcuffs. My partner walked around at that moment. He was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> you got uh, this. And so he ran into the bathroom and because my partner came around and distracted me for a minute, he ran into the bathroom. We called the cops. The cops came because we try and push it off to them as soon as so it's not on us. And they uh, they cleared the situation and they took care of him. It took two pairs of handcuffs to get him under control. And he was freaking out. But yeah, that was uh, definitely a momentous moment.
0: (laughs) Sure. I mean, and then shortly after that, did you reconsider your path? I noticed operations showed up quite in your background.
1: Yeah, exactly. So basically, I kind of revisited realization that I have so many different interests and things that I enjoy doing and I wanted to be able to pursue them right because if I'm doing counterterrorism that's got to be your number one focus right because you don't kind of screw around with it or you know only do it halfway and survive so mm-hmm. I took a step back I started looking at analyst related roles and that's when I ended up joining as a warm body basically the startup at the time which was the Danny Morgan graduate school and so that's how I
0: Started basically in business. <laughs> yeah. And it's sort of taking a lead in, you know, facility maintenance and construction management, right? That's what it led to?
1: Yeah, pretty much. We, what ended up happening is the person who started the school ended up being a fraud. <laughs> and we were in the Washington Post for sexual harassment lawsuits. And it was, it was a mess. But because I was on the operations side, I was kind of the, one of the people who knew what was going on. and I was At the time, I was the right-hand man for him. In managing some of the construction that was going on. So when he got, you know, fired slash left and the new team came in and there was all this kerfuffling trying to figure out what was going on. And I was the only one that knew what was up with a lot of the projects. And so it defaulted to me to manage them. And thankfully they were willing to kind of allow me to. And so that's yeah, I definitely got a, a hot start in construction management, facility management, operations management, and managing contractors, you know, 20, 30 years, my senior (laughs) who certainly knew more than I did, but they were, they were awesome. And they helped walk me through the process and everything.
0: Give me a sense of scale. Like what were you doing? You know, what was happening? What were the moving pieces? So at the time, so let's see here. I think we had about
1: 15 to 20 students. So pretty small. By the time we left, we were about 50. I think we had, I want to say between the teachers and the various employees, I think we had about 30 full-time employees roughly. And at I was managing like the construction project I was managing it was like there was an eight hundred and fifty thousand dollar library build-out on seven thousand square feet of an office floor. And then I pitched to the board and They said, yeah, go ahead, $1.1 million renovation to kind of modernize the facility that we were in. So yeah. And then as far as like contractors, I was managing architect, general contractor, all the subcontractors, security and events were connected with how I was supporting them and whatnot from the operations side of things. So I managed those contracts and situations as well.
0: Yeah. Then you you move on to still into facilities and operations, but for a uh, a very I guess visible organization.
1: Yes. Yep. Everfi is a is slash was they were just acquired by Blackbot for about seven hundred fifty million in a cash and stock agreement. But basically at the time they were about a hundred million dollar company and or a hundred million ARR. And they'd been growing. They had a in 2019, they acquired a team in London. So they were a national team, about to be a global team. And they had three or four different offices around the US and about 150 different remote employees in the US and Canada. And they had kind of built all this up without having a real operations department or a real consolidation effort. And even the facilities, most of the the offices and whatnot had come through acquisition. So they didn't really have like a common workbook or anything like that for how they were managing the offices. And so I basically came in and did kind of an overhaul of the operations department slash created it to a certain extent. They just had various people doing various bits and pieces and I consolidated it. And so yeah, I spearheaded the development and kind of the continuous improvement of that department. And certainly on a a larger scale with various offices and the national reach. And then I had I worked on a ton of different projects while I was there.
0: I mean, from your experience earlier to this, it looks like you made a pretty decent leap. What was the key there? I think the, well, one relative
1: to EverFi in particular, they were very good in my experience about hiring employees that seemed like they had a dynamic wherewithal to them versus saying, you know, have you sat? And in the same chair for the last 10 years, yes or no? <laughs> so, like when I joined, the average age of the company was about 29, for instance, which is super young. And so I think that was a huge plus, honestly. And then I think that the fact that I had a facility/slash operations background in education also helped because that's what they were doing, even though it wasn't like I was facilitating education, really in my role at Everfy. It was more the marketing team and the product team and engineering team and sales team and that sort of thing. But I think that those are probably two key elements that probably helped in a lot of ways because it's, I mean, there are a lot of people who do facilities and, you know, there's, I'm sure that there were a lot of applications from people who have managed facilities, but I think that they were looking for that dynamic edge to a certain extent that they really enjoyed incorporating into their culture.
0: You said you sort of rearrange things or optimize things. What What are the things that you were working on? So on the operation side of things
1: I for instance when I joined they didn't have like they had the kitchen right and at the time like the office manager was doing five things plus ordering from 20 different vendors each week on what was low what was this and how do we incorporate that and oh let's get some bananas and <laughs> basically had no system to it and so I shopped around DC looked at different contracts Brought in an actual food vendor for the kitchen, and basically, you know, we have a portal with exactly what we want. We order it on a regular basis, delivered the next day, and basically generated a. Well, didn't generate it. I engendered a system that we would then use for the next office manager to come in, and so that they had a consistent thing there. I created the SOP for how we managed events and coordinated with the building and things like that. And uh, the same with security. I was managing the security and trying to balance between the teams need to get in and out, and then also, you know, how do we have proper security protocols and people not just bringing their friends in and <laughs> things like that. So there were various elements like that. I redid the whole budget for all the different contracts and, you know, printers and things like that that fell underneath the the ops department, in at least in Everfi's case. And so I had a spreadsheet that I built out for that, that finance didn't really like my, my spreadsheet too much. They liked theirs more, <laughs> but it made sense to me. And so I was able to track on a monthly or even weekly basis, what we were spending against what we should have been spending relative to the budget. So every year we were on budget. Then I did the kind of the same thing for the real estate side. I built out a spreadsheet that tracked our expenses for every single lease and for every single office location, and basically so that we always knew exactly when something was coming in accounts payable could check it against the spreadsheet know exactly that we were supposed to be spending something and when there was a surprise i knew where to go at go to within the lease to check it against the lease and you know either get something rectified or consolidated and that helped us a number of times because we ran into a number of different issues where somebody's system broke down and you know they wanted to send us a bill for 3 times what they should have so yeah basically just that on a reoccurring scale with all the different projects and whatnot that came up.
0: I mean, did you outsource some of the accountability on this or did did you hold a ton of this information? Because it looked like you're you're coordinating a lot of things yourself. Yeah.
1: So my goal was two-pronged attack on that. So one was start by consolidating. Go in, learn all the things that there is. Take it and be like, "No, no, I'll take control of that. No, I'll take control of that. No, I'll take control of that. Then second, put it into some sort of system. So we had a major, it was basically a spreadsheet with, I don't know, 15, 20 tabs and each tab covered security protocols, covered login information, covered whatever it was, so that if, you know, if I did, you know, get hit by a bus or something, there was something to, you know, refer to. And then on top of that, I then brought in, we had an office manager for the DC location. And I tried to then have them take on as much as they could or were willing to. And as a way of decentralizing. But at the end of the day, a lot of once you've I've found once you've built out the system, keeping the wheels in the wagon is, you know, about less than a third of the effort. And so once it was consolidated underneath the department's control, then it could go and be applied to the actual spreadsheet, which then almost anyone could take a look at and at least keep the wheels on the wagon if something happened. So that was, that was how I approached it. Because I also don't like keeping the wheels on the wagon. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's awesome. And then I guess from there you had you tried to move to a, another venture, which probably got you a little bit closer to the entrepreneurial side of things.
1: Yes. So I basically what happened at the end of Everfi is I was ready to move on, and I helped them find my backfill, and to, for someone to keep the wheels on the wagon, I helped hire and onboard them. And then from there I was looking to for a new venture, and I didn't know exactly my background at this point or even at that point was pretty diverse. And I was trying to find a team that, where there was a lot of diverse responsibilities and a lot of action that needed to be taken towards growth goal. Because what happened at EverFi is about nine months in, I'd kind of completed what they thought was going to take 18 to 24. And so the for the rest of my time there, the next two plus years into COVID and everything, I was trying to navigate this like, okay, I've organized 90% of my job. What do I do now? Them sort of sometimes having you know a solution and then other times that not being a solution because the department kind of existed in its own little world. So I wanted to try and solve for that. And so I met through the Trends group on Facebook. I met Brian or Ryan, <laughs> Ryan Kerrigan and uh, his partner. And basically at the time what they did, their their company's name is Move Buddha and they're a lead gen company for a content site slash uh, lead gen company for the long distance private moving industry. And so they had a bunch of capital. they have been successful. They had some capital and they were interested in starting or buying a new business. And so they hired me to basically be the right-hand guy. And so like my official title was VP of strategic initiatives or something like that. And so the idea was to come in and Do a bunch of research and figure out what we wanted to do. We ended up choosing to build a moving brokerage in the same space where we were the goal was because we were better at marketing, better at driving, you know, eyes, (laughs) is to basically build out a content, not a content site, a a tech stack on a site that we could then move 80 to 90 percent of the sale online versus having to you know, do a bunch of salespeople making phone calls and whatnot. So we got, I would say, right at the very beginning, we were ready to pull the trigger. And then the supply chain disruption kind of finally trickled down and all of the good uh carriers were moving freight and, you know, charging, getting getting paid very well to do that. Why why bother with someone's personal belongings <laughs> if you can do that, and then all of the bad carriers who you know might sell you know maybe started were started yesterday, might sell your stuff out from under you or whatever it may be uh were' you know charging exorbitant rates so it created this kind of crunch point within the industry and it didn't it didn't make sense to try and forge something in the middle of that environment so that kind of that's where I'm at now they were very generously put me on some severance and whatnot. So that's where I'm today as I continue to job search and whatnot.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you, you kind of looked at some getting things off the ground side. I think you, you have a, a small venture that you're working. When you look at those pieces, because I mean, there's a zero to one, and then there's kind of that sort of one to 10 thing you know, what what are the different skills and what what are your thoughts just having looked at it from end to end? Maybe not have experienced it from zero to one fully, but at least being able to see the parts, what what do you see and what are the challenges and opportunities? Well, on the zero to one point, when
1: I joined, joined DMGS out of, you know, basically almost right after college, that was at zero. They had just finished Their first like semester with seven students or something. So I would still put that in the category of more or less zero to one because we ended up getting it to a really good place where that it's now part of the basically it was bought, incorporated, whatever the legal term is into the Bush School of uh, Foreign something. Anyway, (laughs) uh, I forget what the, the term is. Anyway, so it ended up being a very good outcome for the school and everything. So I think when it comes to zero to one, I go back and forth on, first of all, the emphasis of having a clear goal, because on the one hand, in order to move forward, you do have to have a clear goal. On the other hand, you consistently hear you have to be flexible and like, you know, this company started out doing this and then it had to pivot and did something completely different, you know? And so I think to a certain extent, the skill sets and the perspectives that matter when it comes to zero to one is more about how you're thinking about your product or about your goal and how you approach problems that arise because i think there's a certain level of critical thinking that has to happen in order to assess whether or not a problem is existential or an actual issue versus one that needs to be solved and even in my experience in the zero to one building effort with uh, with move buddha and the brokerage we were working on within the con- that context my pension is to over. Uh, well, I've been told my pension is to overthink, right? So I like things being organized, and I like I, I'm borderline OCD in that way, where it's and not in every way in my life. You know, I need to do dishes, right? But <laughs> but at the same time, I'm the one who's asked. You know, I'll ask this question, and then I'll ask the ten questions to pertain to it. And Ryan, and some of these other people who have you know built more zero to one and then got it to ten. They're like, no, 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 that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. We need to just run a test. I'm like, okay, but this color's off. You know, like why why wouldn't we fix the color if we know it's off? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it seems like this would be a good thing to fix. So that's where I feel like there's continue learning that needs to take place, at least, you know, in my experience, is continuing to learn what is something that should be fixed, what is something that should be tested and you know worked on versus what is something that should be let go and put on the back burner for the next thing and then i think i think the skill set wise question or the skill set question is a little bit diverse because it just depends on what the project is that you're working on and your capital and you know your ability to deploy it i think that when it comes to hey do i want to sit here and i don't want to go live on my couch in order to make something work that's not my mentality for the last, I don't know, six to eight years, I have had the mentality of like, I can work a full-time job and I'll work on my project on the side. I'll make both work until something, you know, I'm actually able to make something happen. And, you know, I've watched a ton of, you know, I don't know, Shark Tank or whatever. And right, that's uh, one of the proverbial, it's like, oh, so you're not willing to quit your job. It's like, okay, you know, (laughs) I think you can, you know, it depends on your work ethic and your personal life, right? I don't have anything else too significant going on in my life. I have time where I can go put, you know, many, many hours into whatever my projects are, but that's kind of, I feel like that's something that's wrong with the entrepreneurial world to a certain extent, which is we sell this like, oh, if you're not all in and you're not sleeping on the couch, then it won't work. And I, I don't think that that's, a, I, that's fine if that's what you want to do. I don't think you have to do that. And I don't think telling someone that as a measure of like, hey, this is you know how I'm viewing what you're up to is very healthy.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Any sort of, I mean, you said, you know, you, you want everything organized, but obviously you've adapted a bit and sort of backed off in some of those areas. Did you learn that yourself or did you have to go through stuff to learn that? I definitely have had to go through stuff. I think that
1: to a certain extent, I'm a very strong first principles processor and thinker. So when I look at whatever it is, which is whether it's DMGS, EverFi, Move Buddha, whatever the company is, whatever the project is, I always see it as what I call a matrix. And so I'm always looking at how this can be connected or tied and how I can learn from that and how it could influence this other thing and across industry, across the field. So I think that's been very helpful. When I was in high school, I went through a very difficult situation with some relationships in my life. And very, very tense. And that was a a pivotal moment in my life because it's when I had to learn emotional intelligence. And it's when I had to learn how to understand both how someone is communicating and how they're thinking relative to how they're communicating. And then how I can how I can and need to respond in order to not manipulate that, but control that or interact with it in a way that produces a necessary outcome.
0: Give us a tangible example. It doesn't need to be in your life, but just what's a simple example that someone could wrap their head around? So a simple example
1: would be, well, I mean, I'm happy to give the example from, in in my case, at the time I was in a relationship with someone and their parents were, Basically, very hot and cold. So, one week, they might be a huge fan of what I was up to and who I was as a person. And the next week, you know, I might get three page email. <laughs> Let's take everything that was wrong. And so, like, got back and forth. I had to figure out how to understand how something might be perceived and taken even had nothing to do with where I was coming from. And there were times where I I was probably too blunt in how I expressed what I thought about something because I have a very strong personality. (laughs) And so I had, you know, and that was like, Oh, that was a problem. Right. And so basically going through that a hundred, you know, maybe a thousand different iterations of both sides of the coin, essentially how I'm communicating, how it's being perceived and received, and then how to interact when, you know. When how to say, "I'm sorry, it's okay," when I maybe wasn't my fault, or something along those lines, and how to basically express myself in a in a mature way, an emotionally mature way, so that I could be heard, and so that what both how I could be heard and how I was responding to them and how I could be heard when I was bringing something up of my own volition. So when I got to DMGS and navigated the insanity of that environment, four different executive leadership changes in two and a half years. You know, sexual harassment lawsuits, contractual litigation. It was insane, right? Second most stressful time of my life. But because I'd already gone through this other circumstance, I, to a certain extent, on the emotional intelligence level, there are a lot of other things that were very stressful about it, but on the emotional intelligence level, it was actually comparatively easy. (laughs) I was like, oh, Mm. I've dealt with people. You know, like this before, like I know how to interact with these people. I know how to stay on this person's good side and what to say so that they think I'm a fan of what they're up to, even if like I'm talking to this person over here about how you know this person, this employee is trying to fire that employee and (laughs) basically navigating the complexities there. And so when it comes to or when it came to kind of trying to learn how to Navigate my own perspective on building a company or the parts and pieces that are needed in order to test a subject or test a um, an idea or a landing page or whatever it may be, that's where I think having gone through again a thousand plus iterations of the first principles thinking or of emotional intelligence and being able to assess critically a situation in hopefully a wise way and being able to take in multiple factors. applying first principles thinking that's how I've been able to, you know, I guess been blessed to be able to look at situations like a zero to one company solution. And I also have to reinforce being uh, listening to what the feedback is, because a lot of people will give you feedback in the soft comments and in the jokes. And you have to be aware of when, okay, like they probably were just joking, but there's like a twinge to what they were saying. I need to make sure the next time I talk about the subject or express an opinion on the subject that I maybe add some more nuance because maybe what I said was a little too black and white, for instance. And it's maybe not even, I wasn't intending to be that way. So that's the main way I've been able to, I think, been able to navigate learning, continuing to hopefully continue to learn and mature in those things.
0: <laughs> awesome. Is there anything that I didn't uh, ask you that you wanted to share? I mean, I don't think so off the rip. I One of the things
1: that hopefully people heard as they're listening to the podcast and whatnot is that I think it should be okay and you should see it as okay to explore different opportunities as they come before you. Because I I think that helps make you an interesting person because you enjoy that exploration. It exposes you to different people, different conversations. Like if I had never gone down this path, we never would have had this conversation, right? And I never would have met you, never would have gotten, you know, critical feedback on some of the things that we've talked about. And like that's I view that as super unique and awesome and something that, you know, is it, what's well, not even just unique in general. It's unique to the day and age that we live in. And so I just would hopefully people get that is like, hey, like you should pursue the things that are interesting and challenging because there can be some really unique outcomes that result.
0: Yeah. Perfect. Thank you for sharing. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Specified Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash tats talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes.